Nima Well, we have enjoyed a feast so far in, in the book of James, and let's continue that as we read from James chapter 3. We're going to read James chapter 3 and verses 1 through to the end. So James chapter 3, and let's read God's word together. We know that we can trust this because it is the living and the true word of God. James chapter 3, and beginning to read in verse 1. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness, for we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. But if we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. A great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire, and the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Who is wise? And understanding among you. By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Amen. And we thank God for his word to us. Let us come together in prayer before David comes and speaks. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you that we are told in the book of Hebrews that the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joint and of marrow, and discerns the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. 
Father, today you have peeled back the layers of our hearts. And we started today by asking you to shake us clean, to rinse us clear, to still and to quiet our minds. And so today, Father, you have helped us undergo a medical examination of our hearts. We have observed the symptoms. We have heard the diagnosis. And now we ask that we would take the medicine, that you would help us to repent and to commit ourselves to you, that we would treasure you, that we would love you, that we would magnify and exalt you in all that we do, that we would treasure your son, the Lord Jesus, that we would act out what the gospel requires. And so, Father, we ask today that you would help us to keep killing sin and to live for your glory. Help us here as brothers and sisters in the Lord to encourage one another in this. Lord, that we would call out sin in one another's lives, but do it in gentleness. We would speak the truth in love so that we may grow and magnify your kingdom here on this island. Father, we thank you for our brother David. We ask that you would bless him now, give him every power as he opens up your word. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to look at we're going to look at chapter three. Um, again, I'm going to focus on focus on the, ver- the, the towards the start of the chapter. I'll say a little bit about the end verses in just a moment. In, in many ways, the end verses is obviously where chapter three is going to, verse thirteen onwards. Um, but some of the ideas there, I'm going to pick up um, when we look at chapter four. When we look at chapter four tomorrow. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Through Him, through God's Word, all things were made. Without Him, nothing was made that has been, been made. We know those words, don't we? So famous, John's Gospel, chapter 1. By His own Word, Jesus, God made everything. And with his own words, he called into existence a universe. And so because of that, God has made a world in which words are everything. Words are everything. The tongue, our tongues, my tongue, your tongue, is either the worst of evils or the best of blessings. Do you remember hearing these words? You let let your dad down. I hope you know that. Those were the words that were posted on Twitter during the 2012 Olympics. A 17-year-old boy in Weymouth sent those words to Tom Daly, the British diver in Team GB. He had just come fourth in the synchronized diving. And Tom Daly's dad, who had been his coach and his biggest inspiration, had died of brain cancer just before the Olympics. You let your dad down. I hope you know that. A woman in Los Angeles took her own life, and all she wrote in her suicide note was this. They said, the book of Proverbs says, the tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. 
I think James chapter 3 is very like the book of Proverbs. If you want to know the, the type of literature that you're dealing with in the book of James, it's wisdom literature, isn't it? It's, it's why we struggle to trace the logical linear theme. Try to do that with the book of Proverbs. It's really difficult. James is, is like that. He's just gathering up a sort of scattergun of wise sayings about the way the world works as God is putting us back together and making us whole. And James, like the book of Proverbs, loves graphic illustrations about our mouths, our words, and in particular, our tongues. And it's interesting where this is all going, isn't it? Verse 13, who is wise and understanding among you? This letter is about getting wise. It's about wisdom for foolish believers and for foolish churches. Chapter 1, verse 5, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God. If you look at chapter 3, verses 13 to 18, notice that there is a division. This is, all, this is really all I'm going to say about these verses here, but notice there is a division between above and below, the wisdom that comes down from above. Again, it's to do with things being split. There is an above and a below. There's two options. And what James is talking about here, again, his whole big vision is how God is trying to put things back together again that have been separated. In the very start, heaven and earth were together, weren't they? God came down to the garden and walked with man. Sin separates. You end up with this split now between above and below. But what will happen in the book of Revelation at the end? Now the dwelling of God is with men and he will live with them. The new Jerusalem comes down from heaven to earth. And James is saying this letter, if you, if you, want, to, if you want to be part of that reunification project, you can start it now by getting wisdom. And it's interesting, verse 13, who is wise in understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. Wisdom is not an intellectual category. It's not about learning. It's about good conduct in the humility of wisdom. So a woman called Hannah Anderson has written a really nice book it's a bit, a bit of an unusual book. It's a book called Humble Roots. And she has the phrase in that book that wisdom is ultimately an outgrowth of humility. And it's not the way we tend to do it. We think about wisdom as about intellectual acquisition, mastering data, harnessing knowledge. And James is in the wisdom tradition in the Bible that says, no, if you want to be wise, you get small. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. If you are humble, you will become wise. It's the opposite of the way that we think about it, the humility of wisdom. And when things go wrong in our lives or in a church or out there in the world, we look for quick fix solutions, don't we? Do A and not B, do this and not that. We look for actions that will fix things. And James says, no, do you know what you need? You need wisdom. You need wisdom, and whenever things have gone wrong, if you're, you're brought in pastorally in some situation to help a marriage or some kind of disagreement, or in your, your Kirk session things have gone wrong, and you're living with tension in church, there's problems in your church family, when things go wrong, every time in every place, there will be words at work. Unpick it, and you will find someone said something. Someone sent an email Someone texted, look at chapter 4, verse 1, what causes quarrels 
and fights, words, angry words. Look at verse 11 of chapter 4. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. We'll, we'll look at that tomorrow. If you want to fix it all, says James, you don't just need to fix the words. In fact, do you know what he's saying to us here? You won't actually even be able to fix the words because you cannot tame the tongue. Now, if you want to fix it, you need wisdom. So here's what's in store for us. I want to show us three things that James is saying about the tongue. And then I want to try and show you why he's saying it and then what we should, what we should do about it. So three, three pictures, three ways to look at the tongue, and then uh, three applications for us. And I, like I said, I don't think these pictures need a lot of uh, help, do they? They kind of do their own work uh, explaining themselves. Here are the three pictures. The tongue is small, the tongue is a fire, and the tongue is a fountain. The tongue is small, the tongue is a fire, the tongue is a fountain. And here's the first thing about number one. The tongue is small. It has power out of all proportion to its size. It has power out of all proportion to its size. See, all the imagery in the start of this chapter comes from verse 2. If you can keep control of your tongue, if you can bridle it like a horse, then you take control of the whole body. It's really important to see what James is saying. The tongue is the control center for everything. So if you think you've got wandering eyes or violent hands, no, James says change the kind of thing going on inside you that leads to the words that you speak, and then you will find the rest of your body falling in line behind you. The, the, the tongue leads the world, leads the body. And James gives us three illustrations of that. A tiny bit can guide the the whole body of a mighty horse, a tiny rudder can guide a whole battleship, a tiny spark can set a great forest ablaze. The tongue is tiny, and it can, well, it, listen to these Bible verbs, okay? These are, I don't have a reference for all of them, but you can find them in the Bible. I've taken them from the whole Bible. Here is what words can do, Okay? Here's what the tongue can do. It can steal, conceal, it can store up, it can lift up, it can invite, it can cheer, it can crush, it can stir, it can spread, nourish, pierce, heal, endure, snare, satisfy, rebuke, harm, wound, hit, shoot, lie, flatter, boast, insult, divide, and slander. Now, take any one of those things and just think what effect they have on the people who receive them, that kind of action. James is saying, you can leave here today and change the world. You really, really can. You have a piece of flesh that is proportionately small compared to the rest of your body, and out of all proportion to its size, its power is simply enormous. So you see it, don't you, at home, if you've got young children or uh, in church, uh, our kids sitting, I see them sometimes sitting with Play-Doh, and their, their fingers are in the Play-Doh, molding it in all different shapes and forms, and they cut it and stick it and press it, and at the end of their work, something new is born. They've been molding something, haven't they? 
We do that to each other, not as grown-ups with Play-Doh, but with our words. We are, if, if in this room, if you can imagine everybody sitting here is a great big lump of Play-Doh, all the time we are being pulled and pressed and shaped, not because of things that we're actually doing by, with our fingers to each other, but because of what we're doing by sending our words into one another, because of the penetrating power of words. Someone is in better shape because of something someone said to them. Someone is in worse shape because of something that was said to them. Number two, the tongue is a fire. It can destroy out of all proportion to its size. The tongue is small, power out of all proportion to its size. Number two, the tongue is a fire. It can destroy out of all proportion to its size. Okay, I, want, I want you just to keep reflecting on this. You are sitting here in this church today with a weapon of mass destruction in your hands, well, in your mouth. You brought it with you, and you will leave with it. Look at verse 6. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. In teaching James chapter three, what your congregation are expecting you to, expecting you to give them tips on how to tame the tongue. And the whole point of the chapter is to leave people knowing you cannot tame the tongue. It's not the thing to try and change. It's the the wellspring, the source, the heart of it. Just look at the specifics of his words as you work through those verses together. What, What does it mean that the tongue is a fire? James explains it. That means that it is a world of unrighteousness, a world that the tongue has its own ecosystem. And the tongue is devoted to everything that is wrong. That's what verse 6 means. It's an ecosystem devoted to everything that is wrong. And notice verse 8, it's not just that it's evil, but it is a restless evil. It it just can't sit still, can't help itself, and inside the tongue is poison. Like nicotine that stains the teeth, the tongue stains the whole body. Like venom in the nervous system, it can just flow out and wound and maim and shut somebody down. See it? The tongue is small, but just like a fire from a spark, so the tongue can destroy out of all proportion to its size. Just like a bacteria or COVID or the Ebola virus, its damage can spread and spread, and it it just can't be tamed. Verse 7 is so comprehensive, isn't it? Beast and bird, reptile and mammal, land and sea, you name them, James says, someone somewhere has taught that cobra to swing to music. Someone has taught the lion to let its tamer stick its head in its mouth. Killer whales carry children. Raptors land on your hand. But no one No one, not even Solomon himself, not one single person has learned how to go to bed at the end of every day and never once say to themselves, maybe shouldn't have said that earlier today. Nobody's done that. Everybody ends up there. Nobody dies without having been lying there at night saying, why on earth did I do that? 
Why did I send that email? Remember chapter one, be slow to speak, quick to listen. Why, why are we not slow to speak? I, you know, that, that feeling lying there at night, why on earth did I say what I said? I, I, I have never been lying there at night saying, I wish I'd sent that email. I wish I'd respond. I wish I'd given them both barrels, that person. No, you never regret that, do you? Even though you kind of do in your head, you wish you'd given them both barrels. You know it wasn't wise, it wasn't right. Something small can do such damage out of all proportion to its size. I once saw somebody split their finger open with an axe, chopping kindlers, and they split the top of their finger in two. And the pain and the damage was immense. And it was just her finger. I've seen people cut in two because of lies that have been told about them. Reputations destroyed, careers ended, marriages traumatized because of untruthful words. Can you see why the imagery of taming, taming here is so apt to the tongue? Because what is untamed is wild, isn't it? And dangerous and destructive. And the tongue has the power to rent and tear and pierce and paralyze and poison like an axe parting a limb from a body or a sword parting flesh from the bone. So just pause for a moment and think about some of the things we do with our tongues. Take, take gossip. Gossip is kind of an acceptable sin, isn't it? And you see, James is dealing here with the effect of the tongue on the whole body, not just, not just our mouths. He's dealing with the way that the tongue is motivated. What, what's driving the tongue? Listen to Proverbs chapter 18, verse 8. Let me encourage you, if you're preaching James chapter 3, do it with Proverbs, illustrate with Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 18, verse 8. Listen to this. The words of a gossip, like, why, why do we know what this is like? Okay? The words of a gossip, what are you expecting it to say if you don't know the, pro, if you don't know the proverb? What are you expecting? The words, this is in the Bible. The words of the gossip are what? Choice morsels. They go down to the inmost parts. That, that delicious little tidbit of news, oh, you love getting hold of that piece of information. Do you know that? I'll just, just tuck that away under the tongue for later. Being in the know about something that you don't really need to know, but oh, it gives you power. What kind of feeling ever matches that kind of delight? It's amazing, isn't it? The, the, the sweetest meal you've had, you know that gossip is just like that. Gossip is inappropriate reports given to inappropriate people at inappropriate times. What is being said may actually be true. And in fact, it's usually because it's true, isn't it, that we, we want to receive it, we want to know it. What about rumors? A negative report about other people based on uncertain evidence. James says, every time words of gossip, words of rumor, leave our mouths and go to other people, we are setting things on fire. We're, we're walking around just striking little matches. I wonder if you know that listening to gossip, not just speaking it, is a moral issue. Listening to it. Proverbs chapter 17, verse 4 a wicked man 
listens to evil lips. A liar pays attention to a malicious tongue. Isn't that interesting? You think it's going to say a liar has a malicious tongue. No, a liar pays attention to a malicious tongue. Somebody put it like this. I love this. They said, perhaps you don't have a problem with gossip yourself. Maybe you just have that peculiar kind of welcoming face that attracts gossip to you. It's amazing. If you pay close attention to slander, the Bible says, it makes you a liar as well. And I think we all know there are people, aren't there? I know, I know certain people in church, certain people on my leadership team with me, gossip has no truck with them. If I have a choice morsel in my mouth to share, I know that there is no point sharing it with this person. Such is their integrity. They do not want to hear it. They don't want to know But, oh, it's rare, isn't it, to have people like that? The Bible says the power of the tongue is to dehumanize not just the speaker, but the listener as well. It can contaminate and corrupt and spread. The tongue is small. It wields power out of all proportion to its size. The tongue is a fire. It can damage out of all proportion to its size. But now look number three. The tongue is a fountain. And what it produces is in perfect harmony with its source. That's number three. The tongue is a fountain. And what it produces is in perfect harmony with its source. Verse nine. With the tongue we bless our Lord and Father. And with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth water from the same opening, both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? No, neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Very important to see what James is saying here. He's not just saying one mouth capable of two things, blessing and cursing, No, he's not just saying that, although he is saying that. What he's saying is one mouth and two different things can come out almost simultaneously at the same time. So I don't know in your church, I don't know what what time's the last hymn. With us, it's about uh, quarter to 12, something like that, if the trap door is broken. Um, We we make it home probably about half past 12, something like that, or one o'clock for most people, church, something like that. It is perfectly possible, James says, that within that space of an hour, the worship service ending and the time you make it home, maybe it's sooner than this. Maybe it's longer. It is perfectly possible to open our mouths to bless God, shut them, smile, go on our way, and open the same mouth to castigate and criticize and to tear down. What is your Sunday afternoon like? compared to your Sunday morning, James is saying. Someone rubs you the wrong way or slights you, and we curse them. Uh, You know, during, during, I think it was the second lockdown, one of the two lockdowns, the worst argument Angela and I had came during our confession of sin in the online church service we were watching, our own church service we were watching. And... It wasn't me on the screen, but my wife made a comment 
about the speed at which someone was doing the confession of sin, too fast or too slow, I can't remember what it was. And it lit the blue touch paper for me, worked on that service all week, edited that video, put that together. No one in this family's pressing pause. We're watching this thing to the end, you know. Out comes the negative comment, and it's not, not just Thursday morning, Sunday morning. I said to Hazel earlier, she's looking after me so well, giving me cups of tea and coffee and everything. I said, I'm going to take you home with me. She said, no, no you're not. I know what your Thursday mornings are like. Um, so now it's worse. It's Sundays as well. And it, th- this was bad. We, we got through the rest of the service, but we were so angry with each other. We had to go out to my study to finish it off in style uh, on a Sunday, Sunday morning, while the rest of our church family are at home watching and texting me saying, thank you for the service, how great it was. We are capable of saying to God, we love you. We, 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 we want to speak well of you, God, but This other person who you made, who is in your image, I am going to cut them down to size. These two opposite things, James says, reveal a problem at source. What our mouths produce is in perfect harmony with what is inside. You see see the logic, verse 11? Does a spring pour forth from the same opening, both fresh and salt water? The answer is no. If it's a spring on the inside, only fresh water will come out. Can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? No. You produce outwardly what is perfectly in harmony with what is there inwardly. Our words reveal our hearts. They are a window into our souls, aren't they? They they shine a light on what is going on beneath the surface. So the argument over confession of sin in our house, it wasn't over confession of sin at all, was it? It was over weeks of tension that finally built up, and this was the thing that we were going to finally have out into the open. What is going on in here eventually comes out through our words. Stick your tongue out, says the doctor, so I can see what's going on. Let me hear you breathe, and then I have an idea of what's going on in there. There's a man called Craig Troxell has written a book uh, called With, With All Our Heart, With All My Heart, something like that, uh, With All Our Heart, a crossway book, a wonderful book on the heart. He, he takes the kind of Puritan depth of thinking about the way that the heart works and really ticks the layers off it. It's quite new. Well, let me recommend that to you. Craig Troxell says, the, the eyes and the ears are the gatekeepers of our heart and our tongue is our heart's ambassador. It's a great phrase, isn't it? Eyes and ears are the gatekeepers of our heart, but the tongue is our heart's ambassador. All of it comes gushing out. Whatever is stored in here, whether good or bad, will be published by our mouths. Isn't that a powerful image? The tongue is the heart's publisher. The tongue is the heart's publisher. As we are in here so we will be out there. How can this be any way different from the teaching of the Lord Jesus? James Dan, Adolf Ulicker, it's so wrong, isn't it? Jesus said, out of the overflow of a person's heart, they speak. What is in here cannot be kept in here. If you have a big heart, you will hear patient words. If you have a bruised heart, other people will hear hurt and hurting and hurtful words. It's true, isn't it? Hurt people, 
hurt people. An empty heart, and you'll hear loud but hollow words. A wise heart, and other people will hear knowledge. And here's a, here's a wonderful way to picture it. This is an image that isn't, isn't my own. Your tongue is the hinge on which the door of your heart swings. Isn't that great? The tongue is the hinge on which the door of your heart swings. Don't ever think that you've got the real you inside you somehow separate from all the words you're speaking to other people around you. It's what celebrities say, isn't it, when they say something and it lands themselves in trouble. They, they say, it's not, it's not the best version of myself or it's not who I really am. No, James says, who you are as a person is much more visible to others than we may realize and all because of the words that we speak. James says and he knows that inside we're divided so that what comes out is divided. Three applications for us and then we're done. It's been a long day. Three applications. Number one, friends, take your words to God. Take your words to God. Never try to fix your words by mending your mouth. Instead, change your heart. Isn't that exactly what uh, James says to us in chapter 4? Be wretched and mourn. Rend your heart, not, not, your, not your garments, not your outer things, the prophets say. Rend your heart. A heart that is right before God is what creates the mouth of the righteous and leads to the words of the, leads to the, words of the wise. And friends, here is why in all this pain, it's so striking, James's language, isn't it? But here is why in all of this, this is a book of grace. This is a world of grace for all of us. All of us today are owners of words we would do anything to take back, wouldn't we? We all own words that at some point we let loose into the world. And we all own words that we're proud of and that we would say again if we could. We'd, we'd up the ante if we could. And we all have our names attached to words we, we would give anything to take back. Anything to take back. James says to his friends, listen, God's words to us matter more than any of our words to others. There are no words that have ever come from your mouth which cannot be conquered by words from his mouth. There's nothing you have said that cannot be wiped clean and forgiven in God's sight, even if the consequences remain. And friends, here's another thing to know. There is nothing that someone else has said to you which God is not willing to forgive them for saying to you. I want to encourage you to leave the door in your heart always open for forgiveness. Maybe it'll take years, but it all comes from seeing yourself and the world and our words in the light of God's words to us. The, the humility of your heart or the independence and the self-reliance of your heart is always the fountain for your words. There's only one place we ever change the fountain, on our knees before God. I, I was delighted to hear Dan say, we, we agree on this, don't we, that the, the gospel in James is there from chapter 4, verse 6 onwards. Humble yourself. Take your words to God. Application number two, set your words to work. Set your words to work. If it is possible to do so much damage with our words, 
the opposite is true, isn't it, about the good that we can do with our words. I wonder if you ever consciously and deliberately set your words to work, sending them off into the world, into someone else's lives to do them good. And James is picturing for us a world of people who, who because they belong to God, are intentional speakers. I think this image in verse 12 of figs and olives and grapevines and so on, I don't think that is accidental. Like the book of Proverbs, James is showing us that words can give life. The tongue has the power of life and death, says Proverbs. Those who love it will eat its fruit. From the fruit of his mouth, a man's stomach is filled. Isn't that amazing? From the fruit of his mouth, a man's stomach is filled. And with the harvest of his lips, he is satisfied. Okay, we, we just rush over it, don't we? Are you hungry to eat the food that your own words have created? Are you hungry to eat the food that your own words have created? I think particularly mothers with children know this. Fathers, we learn this eventually, that the preciousness of a child in front of you. How many of us spend our lives trying to recover from words that were said to us when we were little? The the preciousness of a child in front of you. Not, Not innocent in the world, of course, but unformed yet in the world. You have the potential to one day harvest things from that person because of the words that you speak to them. We will either harvest bitterness, sadness, difficulty, or the fruit of life itself. When was the last time you you built something with your words or tried to change something with your speech? Planted a seed with a word that you prayed one day might lead to a great harvest. I think we're harvesting our words all the time, aren't we? Way more than we realize that the the shape that our marriages are in over years is largely because of the words that we're speaking and the, the, the habits and patterns of ways that we choose to speak to each other over time bears its own fruit, doesn't it? I, I had a friend at university who had the most encouraging parents I've ever met in the world. And this friend was one of the most joyful, life-giving people to be. Everybody wanted to be friends with this person. And when I went to stay with him in one of the university terms, I realized why everybody loved Ed. And everybody loved Ed because of the way Ed's parents loved Ed. It's really true, isn't it? We, we'd, been, we'd been to Word Alive as students, stayed up all week doing silly things, went to stay with Ed, Ed's parents, and we, we didn't get out of bed till midday, I think, on a Saturday. And when we came down, Ed's dad said to him, where, where have you been? What have you been doing? He said, I've been asleep. And Ed's dad's face lit up in the biggest smile. He said, well done. <laughs> and, and that was just him. Whatever Ed did, not, not, in a, not, in a, not in a sentimental way, but he just loved him and encouraged him and wanted the best for him and spoke well of him. And it created this kind of person who was magnetic in his own overflowing kindness to people. I don't know whether he was consciously trying to plant words to harvest, but uh, it's exactly what happened. Don't let your words just happen as if you've got no control over them. Plant your words somewhere and watch how powerful they are. Watch how powerful they are. And here's the third application. Don't rush to teach. 
Don't rush to teach. Chapter 3, verse 1. Did you notice that? Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. This whole passage actually about the power of the tongue and the speech and so on comes because of a warning to those who want to teach others and to confidently stand at the front saying, this is the way it is. Because words matter and idle words spoken, you cannot get back, you cannot reclaim. Do you remember, um, you remember all in the run-up to Brexit, there was that GoFundMe campaign, um, what was it called? We're, we're led by donkeys or something? There's a group of people that, they, 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 that did that. They were crowdfunding a campaign to put on billboards all the things that our politicians said that now, two years later, are incredible that they ever said it. So one of the ones was David Cameron, uh, who said that the electorate faces a simple choice, stability and strong government with me, or chaos with Ed Miliband. And that, that billboard, that, those words, at the time when Brexit, whatever side of the debate you're on, was proving to be a monumental stramash, to have David, Miller, David Cameron's words saying, strength and order and stability with me was incredible. If you're a leader, a public teacher, and you speak, oh, the, the power and the devastating power of your words. Remember Neville Chamberlain, peace for our time, waving the piece of paper, and within weeks, Europe was plunged into World War II. James is saying there's something worse than that, worse than politicians whose tongue is not under control. It is the Bible teacher whose tongue is not under control. It is a very, very sobering thing. For if the tongue is not under control, James says, other things will not be under control. And if the tongue is not controlled, a church leader can do extraordinary damage. You know, when I was younger, I did Cornhill in London, 99. I did Relay and then did Cornhill... Um, and, you know, I, I, you, as so often happens at university, you discovered people who handled the Bible in a different way. It was clear. It made sense. I, w I wanted to, went to Cornell. I wanted to do this. I wanted to learn how to teach the Bible. I thought, if I, if I can learn how to teach the Bible, I'll be able to lead a church. And then God mercifully gave me a wife and then gave me children and then gave me a church full of sinful people and fellow elders who don't agree and have their own mind and think differently. And in the midst of that, you see, God is saying, look, I know you want to teach, but let's just take a look inside, shall we? Let, let's look at what's going on in here. Ne never mind the teaching. Teaching will take care of itself. Let's just look at the heart. Do you want to lead? Do you want to preach? Do you want to teach one day? Those to whom much is given, much will be demanded. We who teach will be judged with greater strictness because of the responsibility of it. See, James knows that the love of the Lord Jesus for his people burns so brightly. Do you remember the Old Testament background? Why is Jesus so against the Pharisees? Because they're the ones who sit in Moses' seat. They're the ones wielding the, the Bible over people's heads. And they're, they're not using it to lift them up and to lead them. They're putting weights on them, crushing them. The false shepherds in the Old Testament, not feeding the people, but fleecing them. We're going through the book of Amos at the moment. 
uh, in Trinity and Aberdeen, and the fire of Amos is strongest against the leaders of the people, those who, those who are first among the people. Instead of being servants, they've made themselves first, and they're no longer feeding, they're fleecing the people. And yet, friends, look again at verse 2. Look at the grace here. James is not saying all Bible teachers must be perfect. No, look at verse 2. For we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man. No one, not even preachers, can tame the tongue. I will blow it. You will blow it. And yet, James says, verse 10, in the next breath, these things ought not to be so. I want to encourage you today, if there's something, something with you that people have said to you, something that you have said to others that ought not to be so, I want to encourage you to take it to God. For here is, here is what James is saying ought to be so, fruit, health, beauty, righteousness, wisdom from above. Isn't it such a beautiful picture? Verse 17, the wisdom that comes from above is pure, peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy, notice, and good fruits, impartial and sincere. A harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Oh, the picture of life with James is beautiful, beautiful beyond description. Here is what it means to be whole from the inside out. Amen. Why don't I pray for us? Pray again and then I'll hand back to John, is it? Wherever he's gone, there he is. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you most of all just now in these moments for how you have spoken to us. You never ever regret anything that you have said or will say. There is never any guile or deceit in any of your words, there is only light and life. In you, there is no division. You are the God who does not change, no darkness, no shadow. And so we pray, help us to hide ourselves in you and in your living words to us, your people. We want to thank you, Lord Jesus, for all that you show us of what it means to follow you with full, sincere hearts that love and cherish who you are and what you give. And so we pray, change us and make us new. Grant us hearts of humility, hearts of wisdom that come from lying low before you, humbling ourselves, trusting you to one day exalt us in your presence. So hear us, we pray. In your precious name we ask it. Amen. Nima